Hello, my name is Paul Kearney and I am a Professor of Politics and Public Policy at the University of Stirling. This is Chapter 2, What is the Classic Five-Step Model of How to Do Policy Analysis? The first thing to say is that, you know, if we're talking about the classic models of policy analysis, they all tend to be client-oriented. They're for someone in particular and, the, you know, that has implications for how to do it. Most of them are... Uh, done before the event ex ante and they focus primarily on defining a problem and predicting the effect of solutions to inform a client's choice now each text describes this process in different ways and you know i've given you uh, boxes one to five to show you how each author does it in slightly different ways and there's an element i think of the old um, seven minute abs joke, you know, the, the best way to undercut an eight minute abs video is to promise the best, you know, the same results in seven minutes. Uh, but um, I think we can solve that problem by really just treating them all as, you know, kind of in, in one way or another as five step policy analysis. So they follow the following five steps. Uh, first is define a policy problem identified by your client. The second is identify technically and politically feasible solutions to that problem. The third is use value-based criteria and political goals to compare solutions. Then four is predict the outcome of each feasible solution. And five is make a recommendation to your client. So all of these texts more or less emphasize the need to be pragmatic, to adapt pragmatically to a political environment out of your control and to assume that your audience is not an experienced policy analysis or technocrat and that you have to you know, produce something simple and, and uh, well, not simple, you know, short and punchy for someone that's pretty busy and doesn't have the same amount of time to work on it as you do. They also suggest you assume a political environment in which there's limited attention or time to consider problems and lots of solutions will be infeasible. Um, you know, they prompt you to describe the policy problem for your audience to help them see it as something worthy of their energy, you know, even if the client has raised it in the first place. They talk about describing a small or manageable number of solutions, uh, the differences between them and their respective costs and benefits. And they tend to suggest to keep it short with the aid of uh, your visual techniques or, or just with a small number of words to sum up the issue concisely and to minimise cognitive load. Okay, and I think the idea of cognitive load has become quite um, popular now. Uh, which is really the sense that you know people are only willing and able to pay attention to a certain amount of information. If you if you overload them, you, it's counterproductive. So on that basis, the chapter explores a series of common themes, which we can summarise as follows. So the first is most policy analysis is client oriented, and that has um, big implications for what you can do. This is not about you. This is about them. Okay. So the the text talk about. You know, meet their deadline and be concise, see problems and solutions through their eyes and try and identify and work with their beliefs. So in other words, there's no point in telling them what you want to do if it is remarkably inconsistent with what they're willing to do. So that feeds into the next point, which is that problem definition has a, you know, has a technical element, but it's always about power and politics. So to some extent, you can define problems in a you know using technical exercises or methods uh, with uh, you know limited resources and you know there's an emphasis on problem definition in which you analyze the ga analysts gather sufficient data on its severity urgency cause and their ability to solve it
But really, problem definition is a political process involving people exercising power through argumentation to make sure that policymakers see a problem from a particular perspective. I'll probably say this a few times, but there's a useful distinction between uncertainty and ambiguity. You know, uncertainty is a lack of knowledge or confidence in your knowledge about something. So you can address that with more information. Ambiguity is a lack of agreement on what a policy problem is. And you address that through argumentation and power. You know, try and get people to define a problem through your eyes rather than theirs. Okay, so policy analysts, you know, in that context, they're not objective observers of this process. They're political actors. And their analysis is part of a narrative to evaluate the nature, cause, size, and urgency of an issue. Okay, so that leads to the next theme, which is that, you know, policy solutions or instruments can be technically feasible, but politically infeasible, or vice versa. Now, technical feasibility really just means they will work as intended if implemented. Whereas political feasibility is about are they popular enough amongst key people to be acceptable and accepted? And some solutions may appear technically you know, feasible, but too unpopular. And political feasibility can relate strongly to the status quo, which is often quite comforting, or you know, already uh, produced by powerful people or, or in negotiation. And it relates to uh, the extent to which a new policy looks like it represents you know, major radical change, which is often off-putting to some people. So analysis is largely about realistic policy change in a particular context. It's not about you know, a blank slate. Okay, the next theme is use political goals and value judgments to compare alternatives. So there, there are kind of common measures that each of the texts talk about to combine political goals like, you know, uh, you focus on making sure that the, the government or policymakers remain popular or seen as legitimate with these other values. So they include things like efficiency, equity and fairness, uh, a trade-off between individual freedom and, you know, collective or state action, uh, the extent to which a, a policy process involves citizens in deliberation, and a focus on things like, you know, human dignity and policy uh, sustainability. There's some values, there are many of them around, but some values tend to dominate, you know, so such as efficiency, and that's often a very powerful uh, value to, to apply to a, a policy because, you know, it, um, you know, lots of governments don't want to raise taxes and if they want to introduce something new, they want it to not be too expensive. There's also a very strong focus on methods such as cost-benefit analysis, which is really about trying to break uh, the cost and benefits of any action into uh, you know, the same unit of analysis so that you can compare things in a straightforward way. So I should say that this book does not really explain cost-benefit analysis in great depth, and it certainly doesn't tell you how to do it. But um, you know, if you're interested in other other textbooks, Weimar and Vining does. I think it's got about two hundred pages on on you know the economics underpinning cost benefit analysis in a, in a way that you know I couldn't possibly. So the next theme is be efficient and pragmatic when gathering evidence. So some of these texts are more ambitious than others about how much original research they want you to do. But most are describing desktop exercises, and they're certainly not describing you know a notion of evidence based policymaking, which you're doing a, a systematic review of all the evidence out there. You know, this is about uh, being timely rather than being comprehensive. 
Then there's a great focus on communicating clearly and concisely. So the, there are books that go into that in, in some detail. So there's a kind of 2015 Smith book that has these checklists to assess communication. So one of them is focusing on effectiveness, which is you know, identify a particular audience, highlight a well-defined problem and purpose, project authority and use the right kind of communication for your audience. And then this, this idea of excellence, which is about clarity, precision, conciseness, credibility and such way. Such like so, a lot of policy analysis advice is actually about the kind of skill or craft of actually writing or producing these kind of analyses in a way that you know people will pay attention to. Then there's some focus on communicating risk and uncertainty in a responsible and ethical way. So, I would say a lot of this is about being a competent consumer of information. So analysts should be well skilled in how to understand, gather a lot of information. And then it's about being a responsible communicator. And the book gives you a kind of list uh, that comes out of uh, Spiegelhalter's book, which is a list of things that you can do well or badly to communicate information and risk well or badly. Now, I think the, what they, those kind of books don't say in, enough, I think, is that I would assume that it's the communication of evidence is more influential than who's producing it. You know, people produce the evidence and there are experts. But analysts are often the ones who are summarising, communicating, making sense and telling a story about that evidence. So that puts the onus on being responsible and ethical on those policy analysis. Okay, so to sum up this section then, uh, you know, you would say there are lots of different ways to describe the steps to policy analysis, but they are fairly clear themes. This is focus on your clients, be pragmatic, uh, produce efficient uh, analyses of information, you know, produce short, clear, concise analyses and, and focus on what is politically feasible as well as technically feasible. And that's all fair enough. You know, those are really useful texts and, and, and um, you know, those are the kinds of things that would help people when they engage with this um, exercise for the first time. But really the, the conclusion to this one is about what is missing from these how-to guides. And the next three chapters explore what is missing and particularly what can be filled with more studies of policy theories, which tell you about the context in which this stuff takes place, and more studies of critical policy analysis, which makes us think about, you know, what is the, the role of policy analysis in a political system that has uh, contains high inequalities and marginalises uh, many different groups. Okay, thank you.